Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. Our Giro Stage 3 podcast, the only World Tour race on today, brought to you by Lacole, our Giro d'Italia show partner. Lacole produce performance road cycling apparel only. They're the fastest growing cycling apparel manufacturer in the world. And as you probably have seen, and you'll have seen them today in today's stage, and we'll get to that as well, they are the apparel supplier for Bahrain McLaren. And Bahrain McLaren got a man on the podium on GC right now, Peo Bilbao. We're sorting out interviews with a couple of the Bahrain McLaren riders for the rest day. Uh, we'll get a rest day podcast interview with them, just like with Leonard Kamner when he came on for a rest day pod interview, then won a stage. I'm not going to say it's a coincidence or not, but I mean, it's probably a good idea to come on the podcast for a rest day interview if you're in the middle of a grand tour. But yeah, thanks for LaCole for supporting the podcast and partnering with us for the Giro. You can check out their kit at www.lecole.cc. Benji just re-upped with a fully blacked out all category and pro kit bundle. I presume Benji has some sort of beef with the Giro d'Italia not actually having HD climbs, just category one climbs. But thanks for LeCole supporting the pod. On to Giro stage three, up to Mount Etna. 151 kilometer long stage, a rolling stage with really no categorized climbs before the cat went up to Etna, even though there was 3,500 meters of climbing in this stage. So not like the Tour de France, where they categorize a lot more of these climbs, the Giro just sometimes decides not to. We were arming and arming yesterday about whether a breakaway was going to go, who was going to control it, how did the race shape up Benji, and I think there were KOM points uh, on offer at certain sections for the breakaway riders. Yes, the um, stage started relatively similar to how we expected it. A breakaway would form, but one thing I didn't see coming was the fact that there was one rider trying to do a Greg Van Avermaet. Filippo Ganna tried to get in the breakaway with a leader's jersey, and he actually did not succeed. So he was not in the final breakaway, but it's quite nice to see him try at least. We had a breakaway of six today. Josep Rumak from Androni. I think he's the Croatian champion. Romano from Bardiani. We had... Craddock from AF Education first. Holmes for Lotto Sudal. We saw him do well winning that last stage of Santa Studa under on Willinger Hill. I think it's the last one. Not sure. Could be the second to last stage of that stage race. Campanas was in there as well. NTT and Giovanni Visconti, the rider for Vinny Zabu. For some reason, the abbreviation of Vinny Zabu is THR. I have no clue why, and it surprises me. But yeah, not an important detail. The most important things were the fact that Rumak was trying to get the KOM jersey, but that was obviously not going to happen if you don't win the stage. So going for it in the stage itself is a bit of a meh moment if you end up dropping like Rumak did on the final ascension of the Etna. So the winner today was most likely going to end up, well, like surely going to end up in the uh, blue KOM jersey. And that is indeed the case. The winner of today did get in the KOM jersey. We'll talk about the winner later after we dive into the uh, summary of the Etna itself. But one thing we need to notice once again is the fact that 
We've got two intermediate sprints. And as we said multiple times already, on the second intermediate sprint, you can get bonus seconds. And in the breakaway, those seconds were not really fought for. So you didn't have seconds for the likes of a Caicedo, for example, who was also in the breakaway that I so forgot to name, apparently. But he was in there as well for Evidication Fast to get with his teammate Craddock. So, yeah, two of the same team. But the big news for, from today was that Geraint Thomas crashed in the neutral zone. It kind of apparently stopped the race starting on time. And then later on the stage, when I think Michelin Scott took up a lot of responsibility for controlling the breakaway, uh, Ineos called their bluff, or maybe Ineos were the ones bluffing and Michelin Scott didn't call their bluff. Uh, we said on yesterday's, when we previewed the stage, that oh, if I was Ineos, I'd just let it go, the breakaway, and I wouldn't bother controlling it because you're not going to protect Ganner and Etna anyway, and does Thomas really need to? Yeah, who cares? Um, whereas Mitchell and Scott are the ones presumably controlling the break, going for the stage win and bonus seconds, etc. for Simon Yates. That looked like the plan. We thought that could happen too, and they were keeping it in check, doing a lot of work. But yeah, Thomas crashed in the neutral zone. Um but he seemed fine after that, Benji, or did I miss something? I didn't really see him too banged up after the neutral crash. Yeah, the same. I didn't expect anything to happen to him. After that, it looked like he was going onwards to uh, well being in the similar form that he was in previously. So I generally didn't expect anything to happen according to that crash. But boy, were we wrong. And not about one rider. We had quite a mess up when it comes to multiple GC riders just totally, yeah, shitting the bed today. and. Sometimes it's because of the crash, sometimes it's not, because some riders just boinked in total and were not there on the final ascension as well. So, yeah, we saw that at a certain point in the race, I think it was with about 33 kilometers to go. You have to keep in mind that the Etna starts at about 18 kilometers to go. So with about 32 kilometers to go, we saw Trek pacing at the front and suddenly we had a view from the back of the peloton with the camera on Gana and behind Gana. There was a Thomas that didn't look too well. And about a minute later, Thomas was off the back. And we saw Gano Wade. We saw Dennis Wade. It was clear that that crash did cause something to Thomas. We don't know if it's an injury or it's just, yeah, mentally that he's, yeah, I think it's physically because I don't think Thomas is a weak guy when it comes to his mental state. So I think that he has an injury or he has something that makes him unable to perform proper watts to keep up with the peloton when someone is pacing at the front with the likes of Nicola Conchi after Exegafredo. So it wasn't like they were monstering because it wasn't even on the Etna yet. It was on the hill before that. There's a small downhill section after that hill and then we go up the Etna. So we saw Thomas try and go back and try and come back, but it was just over. Did you? Yeah, we, we never saw this coming. Like we did notice in the preview that we expected Thomas to have a bad day, but I didn't expect it to happen so early, and I hoped that it wouldn't happen with a crash, obviously. Apparently, Eurosport or whoever, some commentators, maybe the right commentators, were saying he crashed a second time. We saw no evidence of that. I've seen no images of that today. Uh, I've even seen, I think, some people refuting that on Twitter. And maybe it was just that when the pace went up um, on those sort of second-to-last climbs when teams were trying to get into position, that he just that's when his hip started hurting and he seemed to have trouble with his left left hip uh that was what he was sort of poking and prodding at so a real shame for thomas uh we did say in the preview show and i've said it many times 
Like Thomas, he's got that Tour de France podium last year and one Tour de France in 2018, but he crashes a lot. Um, he crashed in neutral zone. And in my view, it's not just bad luck. I've seen he just seems to crash a lot of the time for no reason. Um, even like in Tour de France last year, he crashed in the corner with seemingly for no reason with no one around him. So that's why I thought he was a little bit short actually for for the Giro, even though I thought he was the clearly the strongest all-around rider. But yeah, he just it's a real shame uh, for Thomas. We've already now. And when he got dropped, by the way, we knew it was it was done because Trek, they got Nibali sensing, you know, smelling blood in the water um, and he just thrown the whole team up the front, pacing as hard as possible. And this is before the Aetna. So at, at a minimum, he was going to lose, like, best case, like three minutes on Aetna, three, four minutes. But that was even best case. And, yeah, that didn't happen. So Thomas would lose 12 minutes today. His Giro is over. I don't know whether he'll abandon it or not. I don't. He'll, they'll see how his hip is, I guess, because there's still ITT stage wins on offer. So if he gets back to being half okay, like Grand Tour stage wins, still pretty important and still something of value. Uh, and he'd be the favorite for uh, probably the middle one, the, the second one. So yeah, it'll be. I don't think he'll abandon straight away uh, just because he's lost 12 minutes. But that was a real shame. Uh, for Thomas and yeah then into Etna with Trek pacing and kind of Bora Hansgrohe looking a little bit interested at the front Benji who was like who was pacing for Bora in case people don't know who he is and why and and who's Bora's GC rider well I'm guessing you're referring to the person that paced the most of the last climb if so that was Matteo Fabro he was extremely strong during the Tirreno last stage where he was in the breakaway together with Mathieu van der Poel. And he was basically the main competition of van der Poel because he attacked with about 30k to go in that final stage. Got like a 30 second lead on van der Poel and van der Poel was only able to catch him on the final hill. So Fabro, really good climber and we're going to see more of him, to be honest. One of the super domestiques in this race for Maika, Rafa Maika, the leader of Bora Hansgrohe. When it comes to Nibali's team, we basically had the whole team pacing today. I think every single one except... Chicone paced, and the fact that Chicone is not up there does show that he's not recovered from his COVID issues that he had a few, I think a month ago already, but the consequences probably still hurt him quite a bit. So let's hope for Trek that Chicone can slowly but surely move his uh, energy back up and can get back in shape. But other teammates for other teams that were still there was also Kun Baumann, really good performance. He was riding for Steven Kreisweg and came into play a bit later in the stage. And like you said, Bahrain McLaren was also in there. But the thing about Bahrain McLaren is they've got a lot of riders, like you say, that first of all, the Bilbao for potential GC, but also for potential stages. And I think we mentioned Mark Patton for stages as well later on in this Tour d'Italia. And one name that we haven't named yet that was also really good today, but decided to drop the gap afterwards because, well, the GC riders were clearly going to fight for it or the breakaway riders that were up front. So Ben Steiner, he was unable to really go for the stage today, so we decided to probably drop the gap a bit. But Hermann Bernsteiner never disappoints when it comes to Grand Tours. I think in the Vuelta last year, he was up there in quite a few stages, almost 1-1, and definitely is deserving of a stage win in this Giro, and I think it's going to happen at some point. 
but it was not today. It would be remiss of us not to mention what was happening in the breakaway, actually. And they'd all started attacking each other. It was a really interesting stage because usually when a breakaway starts disintegrating and there's a lack of cohesion and there's GC teams chasing and the gap wasn't that big either, like three minutes, two and a half minutes. And they're all fighting each other. Holmes, I think, had gone off the front for a little bit. But really it was between Giovanni uh, Visconti, who you should be familiar with, rode for the Movistar World Tour and a lot of for many years, and he's a very solid rider. I probably still could be World Tour if he wanted to, but I think he gets more opportunities in the Italian Cup races with uh, Vini. He was in a break with just a break of two pretty much with Caicedo, the uh, Ecuadorian for EF, the very diminutive small rider. Uh, sort of same stature as Sergio Iguita, the Colombian. And yet it was clear that if anyone out of the break was going to win the stage, it was going to be out of those two, like Campanats, etc., who was in the break, not as strong climber as those guys. Um, so it was going to be between those two. I thought Caicedo was probably the strongest climber compared to Visconti in a climb this long. Maybe if it was like a Giro della Toscana style climb uh, in a normal parkour like 8Ks or Giro dell'Emilia or Lombardia, I'd probably be picking Visconti. Uh, but they were attacking each other and there was a funny, it's probably there'll be a gif of it or something on Twitter. Go and look it up. It's when the Vini um, <laughs> Zabu DS was screaming at both Visconti and Caicedo out of the car because they weren't working together. They'd been attacking each other. And he screamed at them to work and then threw a bit on at the ground and exploded. It's one of the funniest things I've seen. It was it was magic. Um, so, yeah, I hope there'll be gifts of that on, on Twitter, I'm sure. But what was their gap, Benji, when it was just those two to the Matteo Fabro-led peloton behind them? It was like two and a half minutes, right? It wasn't that much. You would think, and I think I had some intel that the dad of Matthew Holmes, Roy Holmes, sent something in a DM to a friend of mine that they would need four minutes at the bottom of the Etna to make it to the top. But I think four minutes is a total overrating of the Peloton's strength when it comes to domestiques. Because, have to be honest, these teams don't have amazing teams to support their leader. We've got the likes of Trek with probably one of the best teams because Mitchelton was supposed to be the best team, but... They were not really shown at the front at that point. I've got the feeling that the teams in the back were not really good enough to catch a four-minute gap. So at the bottom of the climb, it was about two minutes. And at the moment that Caicedo and Visconti were together in the group, I think the gap to the peloton was around 150 to two minutes. But that would slowly but surely coming closer and closer towards the end of the stage. But like we said earlier, Thomas was one of the victims of today's stage. But we had another one that was displayed at the back of the group and suddenly off the back. Simon Yates, I couldn't believe it. They've The Giro was shaping up perfectly for him. He had a, a half an hour window where he'd gone into the $2.20 favourite to win the overall in the Giro. Mitchell and Scott had been pacing for him. He's got Haig and Hamilton, who I thought were some of the top domestiques still here. And he was at the back of the peloton. And I was like, oh, I wasn't too concerned because the Yates brothers, that's kind of what they do. They're always doing that sort of thing. Um, just circling at the back. I wasn't too worried. And then he just got dropped. And Mitchell and Scott, like Matt White, I've just seen he said the DS of uh, Mitchell and Scott that the plan was for Yates to win the stage today. That's why they were pacing. So he must have felt good before the stage started. He did a good job uh, in the ITT on uh, stage one. And then he just got dropped pretty badly. 
like, and it was a large group, by the way. Like, and and there was no, there's no like mutant pace being set by Wout Van Aert, anything like that. Like, yeah, Matteo Fabro, sure he did a very very good job, but the level, the level is not that high at this year. I'll just say it now when people are already asking. Um, what's the comparison between the Giro and the Tour? The level is not comparable, and the watts per kilo is not comparable. And Yates getting dropped like that is really surprising to me. If he's not sick uh, or injured, he, he must be sick or something because, yeah, to lose that much time, um, well, I don't know how much he lost today, like three minutes or something, um, four minutes, 22 and well, about three and a half, three minutes forty to the the main GC contenders. Just when they were shaping up to try and win the stage for him, I thought we thought he was going to win the stage if it came down to the GC guys. Um, I think we said yesterday. So yeah, and a shame they dropped back Jack Haig to work for him. Um, Haig obviously came here not for his own GC ambitions, and yeah, maybe he'll go for stage wins. I don't know, but yeah. I, do you know? Have you have any insight into what happened with Yates, Benji? Have you seen anything anywhere about an injury or something? Nope, nothing found yet. But what I notice when this happens every time is that we've got a situation where their leader is off the bag. Same with Thomas, and we directly see a plan B in action. But I'm not sure if Mitchelton's one was the right plan in action. With Thomas, we saw that Swift was starting to come to the front and was basically working for. Hart. And if we look at Mitchelton Scott, we saw that Hamilton was staying in the group while Haig was going back to help out Yates. So it looks like Hamilton, I think it's Lucas Hamilton in that team and Chris Hamilton in Sunweb. So Lucas Hamilton for Mitchelton seems to be their new leader, while Hart is a new leader of Ineos. So uh, it's always interesting to see what their plan Bs are in these situations. And I feel like these plan Bs were spoken about before the stage as well, because otherwise you won't be able to respond that quickly. I don't expect the director of Sportif to just make the decision of, well, Jack Haig, bye, it's Lucas Hamilton time now. So I'm expecting that to be something that they have spoken about beforehand. But do you think it's a good idea to choose Hamilton over Haig, or do you think they should have just kept both of them there and dropped Yates anyway? Um, I think they'd already made the decision that Haig wasn't riding for GC at all before the Giro even started. Uh, he knew that, so I'm not really sure it matters too much. Uh, I'm not sure how much time he lost in the ITT, etc. And, yeah, so maybe it's... I don't really think it matters either way, to be honest. I probably would have picked Haig over Hamilton, to be honest, but, yeah, Haig is leaving next year, so why not give the opportunity to ride for uh, Lucas Hamilton? Whereas Ineos, yeah, they went straight to the front with Swift pacing for... Teo Gaganhart, but then Teo Gaganhart got dropped later and he lost time today as well. So just such a strange day. And this was just great to see when there's no real dominant mountain trains, the what can happen, how exciting stages can be. Because we got to, basically got to a scenario with the GC guys where Yates was dropped, Thomas was way off the back, and you've got Fulsang, Micah, Nibali, Pozzovivo, Almeida, Kreuzweik, uh, and Kelderman, I think I've named all of them in that group there, the main GC contenders, and they didn't really have any domestiques except Trek had a couple of guys who seemed to be close to being on their limit uh, at that point, like Brambila. Um, I don't think they had anyone else really supporting Nibali right in the sort of middle to last third of the climb. 
But there are a lot of other writers there, uh, like Manchies, Brandon McNulty, the American for a while, Pedrero, Pay Bilbao that we mentioned, um, Castro Viejo for Ineos. And that's what made me so surprised that Yates was getting dropped and Togag and Hart, to be honest, because obviously the level wasn't crazy high. Like there must be so it must be something wrong if if like Jai Hindley's out climbing Simon Yates on a stage like this. But up the road, with all of those GC contenders not really having any domestiques left, the pace was stop and start. And Caicedo, so they were sort of looking at each other particularly for quite a while. And then Caicedo gapped Giovanni Visconti. And yeah, once he went clear, he was able to hold that gap pretty pretty stable to Visconti. And it didn't look like at any point Visconti was going to bring that back. And Caicedo was just, yeah, riding really smooth. Um, he looked didn't even look in too much difficulty, to be honest. And were it not for attacks coming out of that peloton, I think he would have won almost by. Well, he did almost win by to the main GC guys by almost a minute. But what happened, Benji? Then when the pace um, slowed down, because we might not get this in the right order, but there were a lot of attacks from various riders. Um, some for GC, some maybe going for stage win. Um, we'll try and we'll try and list them all here because it was crazy at the end of this stage, like proper chaos with no real team controlling. Yes, I'll try and keep it towards the riders that were actually influencing the race. And the main attack for me was when Castro Viejo went off the front for Ineos, and we had one person following a Belgian. And I've called him out on the preview that he would win a stage, Harim van Hoeke. He is well a climber that did really well in his U23 ages. And I think he was fighting against the likes of uh, of Pogacar in those days, but he was not as good. Let me make that clear. He is a real good prop prospect, and we saw that today. He was following Castroviejo. He caught up with Castroviejo, and those two were off the front for quite a bit. And then suddenly we saw that Castroviejo was dropped from Van Hooke's wheel. So from that point onwards, we knew nothing about Van Hooke until like 500 meters to go. About the grew behind then again, we saw that the tempo would go down again and there were no real domestiques anymore left after a bit because we saw, well, a lot of attacks from those kind of riders, but also the likes of Bilbao and so forth making an attempt. And maybe the surprising name still in that group would be Antonio Pedrero, a teammate of Carretero at Movistar. They were both working for Carapaz last year and this year it looks like Pedrero gave the, um, well, received the honors of fighting for GC in that team. So I guess a great opportunity for that lad. He's now team leader. And I think Sergio Samitier was up there as well for that team. So despite having a mediocre team at best at the start of this Giro, they might end up doing something with the likes of Pedrero and Samitier. So it's very interesting to see that teams that don't have the strongest teams were still able to perform today. We had NTT up there with Pozzo Vivo and Louis Manches. Manches, who has not performed at a welter level properly in ages that is pretty much somewhat back. And it's great to see that. He struggled a lot recently, so awesome to see in general. But the next attacks in the group, well, who were they? Well, Nibali. Your man, your man Nibali tried to accelerate. Oh, yeah, I think wow. That, that, I how have you forgot? You're the biggest Nibali fanboy, and you forgot he really created the decisive GC split, I thought. And then once he created that split and really put a lot of pressure on 
uh, Almeida and Kreuzweich was in difficulty as well. So a nearly accelerated Kreuzweich let the wheel go and then to Diesel wound it back in again. And it was Micah, Fulsang, and I think, ooh, I can't remember whether Kelderman was already off the front at this point. Kelderman attacked really strongly, got a good gap. And it, it's hard to say because the TV cameras, there weren't enough TV cameras to show everyone on the road because there was one with Caicedo, one with Nibali main GC group, one with Yates, and one with Thomas. So there wasn't a fifth motorbike to show where Kelderman was. But he was like in no man's land behind uh, Arm Vanuka and uh, Caicedo and Visconti. For quite a while, we had no idea of his time gap. Uh, but he was gone. He was like out of sight. And it was... Then Nibali, Micah, Fulsang, Pozzavivo, Kreuzweich slugging it out with Almeida kind of just pacing himself back behind them, yo-yoing a little bit. Fulsang then, when Nibali sort of refused to pull for them, Fulsang then tried to accelerate and he set pace for a little bit. Pozzavivo was there. This is in the steep section too in the last part of, uh, of Etna. It gets pretty steep. And... They pretty much rode it back in together, and at the end, um, I don't really see. There were no big gaps between Fulsang, Mike, and Nibali, and Pozzavivo. Kreuzweich, I think, when there was a last acceleration, lost about five seconds to them, and he was five seconds behind them. But, yeah, Jonathan Kaithera was not really in any danger. Vanoka wasn't able to bridge across early enough, and the pace really wasn't consistent enough from the main peloton before he attacked for the entirety of the climb. So Kaithera wins the stage. 21 seconds back was Visconti. Vanoka, 30 seconds back. Kelderman, 30 sec- 39 seconds back. 12 seconds ahead of Fulsang, Micah, Nibali, Castroviejo, and Pozzavivo. Castroviejo, GC for Ineos, question mark. And then Kreuzweig, five seconds behind those main GC guys. Yoa Almeida, one minute and three back from Jonathan Kaithera. Now Benji... You're the quick maths man on the pod. Run us through the Mavia Rosa situation with Caicedo and Almeida. Caicedo crossed the line and Almeida crossed the same line one minute and three seconds later. Roughly around that, before the uh, stage, they were on a difference of 113. That means that with the bonus seconds that Caicedo gets on the line, that is 10 bonus seconds, that is also 113. Now, looking at the time trial differences, there was a difference of 0.28 seconds in the time trial in the advantage of Almeida. So Almeida is still in the in the Maglia Rossa with that advantage over Caicedo. But an extra thing notably is that Caicedo kind of fucked up that way because he celebrated a tiny bit too early. So if he would have ridden until the line, he probably would have had the pink jersey. But also, I spoke about it before we started Yetna Ascension, that intermediate sprint with the seconds, if he had taken at least one second there, the man was wearing the Maglia Rossa. So João Almeida is a new Maglia Rossa wearer after the third stage of the Giro d'Italia on the Yetna. A very young talent, was supposed to be the super, super domestique of Remco Evenepoel, let's not forget. And it's certainly showing that he was worthy of that position, if not worthy of leading a team at the Koenig Quickstep, because he is definitely up there with the uh, top seven-ish of GC riders at the moment. Yeah, I really rate him. Um, I think 
I think he could hold the Maglia Rosa for a fair while, actually, just because of the other GC teams don't have those really strong trains to maybe do these long climbs hard the entire time. And if he's able to keep keep winning time back in the uh, in the ITTs that are to come, yeah, he could make, actually make it pretty close. And I think that youth jersey is definitely something that he's he's got one hand on already if he doesn't crash. But what did you see from the GC guys today, Benji? It's just Nibali's just Mr. Consistency. Not crashing is part of cycling. Not being sick in cold conditions or in weird conditions is part of cycling. And I think there's going to be already a lot of comments about how, um, yeah, how Nibali's only winning because he's, oh, because he didn't crash, etc. But we predicted that Thomas was at a high risk of crashing before the Giro started. And that's because of his history. So... I think you can't really hold that against Nibali, and I certainly don't hold it against Nibali uh, at all. And I think it is definitely a lower level at this Giro, and I think we I said that when the World Tour calendar came out a while ago, um, that if you want to win a Grand Tour and you're not really a top-level GC guy, this is the race you should go to and should have marked it down. Um, I think Kreuzweig I'm a little, little bit concerned about. I don't think he's at... I don't think he's fully recovered from that crash. And he definitely doesn't look to me as strong as he did in uh, Tour de Lain or even in the Tour de France last year when he got on the podium. Kelderman is looking very, very good. And if I was Nibali, I'd be very, very concerned about Kelderman. Micah, I think, will fall away. Um, but, yeah, where, where do you, as a Nibali, stand, Benji? Like, where do you rate the... GC contenders right now in terms of strength. I haven't looked at the betting markets or anything. I think they're in a state of flux as well. Um, and I don't really have a fixed view of who who is the GC favorite right now for this race. If we take a look at the riders that are currently in GC, let's go over the main favorites first and then diving to the others. We've got Nibali on sixth position on 55 seconds of Almeida. He is currently 13 seconds behind Kelderman, who is 42 seconds behind Almeida, which is on fourth position. I think those two are definitely part of those two main favorites at the moment. Nibali being probably not even at his highest form yet because we know that Nibali is perfect at being the shark that peaks straight on week three every single time he rides a Grand Tour. And if this is the form that Nibali has in week one, then I think the others might actually be terrified of what he can become in week three. And... With Kreisweg also not really being too bad, we say that he lost five seconds today, he didn't look too good, but I wouldn't read too much into it. Kreisweg is a person that also grows in the race, and in week three, he's, he's always great as well. He's a bit like Nibali in that sense, that they always work towards week three, while I think that Fulsang has a history of falling back in week two and week three, but he also has a lot of bad luck in ground tour so far, so you can't really judge him too much on that, I would say. Fulsang... Looked good today. I can't say anything more than that. When it comes to climbing, same level as Nibali, I would say for sure. Then, Brandon McNulty. He is one of the riders that you would probably not expect to be in this list, but I had him as a top 10 favorite before everybody started crashing out. Now he's close to a top 5 uh, candidate, I'd say, together with Joao Almeida, who is currently in the pink jersey. So, all in all, we've got plenty of people that are performing really well. I think Micah, unlike what you're saying, is actually going to be pretty well because Micah 
is similar in the sense that towards week three, he gets stronger and stronger. So I think that in the third week of this Grand Tour, he's going to be pretty strong and well as well. And the thing is, obviously, the time trials still matter. And we've got, I think, Nibali being the best time trialist looking at this list. To get with Kellerman? With Kellerman, I don't know what to expect. He's had a lot of bad luck. Nah, McNulty. McNulty's a better Yeah, time but I, I don't expect McNulty to be able to follow Nibali up the third week. And therefore, I'm not really judging him. I, I think Full Sang, stage 14 ITT, I think Full Sang can be Nibali on that too, based on his Andalusia TT. Um, I don't believe it. To be honest. But Full Sang had a trash time in, in stage stage one. I don't think it'll be a big gap though. Um, none of them are like outstanding time trials. What about P- Pelo Bilbao, uh, Byron McLaren? Like he climbing at a very, very high level in the Tour de France. If he can bring that form and that same watts per kilo, he'll be climbing with the GC favourites. GC favourites here did Etna. Um, some people saying 5.8. I don't I don't think they did a 5.8. Um, I think in the wheels it'd be 5.5, 5.6 for like 45. Bill Bow can do that. And he's probably, he's a really, really good time trialist. Um, and he's wearing Lacole kit. So... Why can't he be a GC contender? I know that's literally not the plan probably for him. Um, he's never been. I mean, he, he's come, he's won like smaller GC races or come second in other GC races. He came sixth in the Giro GC in 2018, actually. So like Bora and a lot of other people think of Patrick Conrad, who's got like a top 10 in GC at the Giro, I think before, as a potential GC contender if he takes the next step. Pelo Bilbao, I mean, he attacked strongly today and was sort of let go because I don't think people were um, particularly worried for him, about him and then he got brought back. Or maybe it was uh, Perensteiner, Hermann Perensteiner for Bahrain. But, yeah, I think I think anything could happen in this Giro, to be, to be honest. And there's still the two TTs to come um, and we don't know what's going to happen in those big mountain stages with the weather. So, yeah, definitely want to watch. and. Like, for example, Benji, do you think Pozzavivo is a better climber right now in 2020 than Bilbao? Oh, that's a difficult one. I, I'm i really surprised that Pozzavivo can compete here. I'm not going to lie. But I think Pozzavivo is going to be devoured in the time trial while Bilbao has the ability to time trial really well and on paper should be able to beat Pozzavivo that way in overall, I'd say. Because I wouldn't put them too far apart in, in climbing. The thing is, Pozzo Vivo was really good today. I, he was on the level of Fulsang and Nibli when it comes to the climbing and attacked them like twice. Fulsang was always the one responding. Nibli was like, you guys can solve it. I'll try and sit in the wheels a bit. So yeah, it's it's still a bit close together for all these riders. And therefore, I'm not able to judge whether one person is going to be better than the other. Now, Micah was on that same level. I think Joao Almeida lost some time to the likes of Micah and so forth. And McNulty lost about 37 to 40 seconds. So we might be overrating McNulty a bit that way. We might be overrating Almeida a bit that way. Almeida was dropped relatively early and then suddenly got back. That is what our commentator at least said on Eurosport. And afterwards, we saw that Almeida was one of the riders attacking. So I'm not sure whether that was miscommunication by the commentators, most likely, to be honest. But again... Those Movistar riders, Pedrero was one of the first ones to jump on the wheel of Nibali when he attacked. And 
I'm genuinely surprised that he's able to do that. He's riding on the level of Bilbao, really good performance. And it looks like Bernsteiner is also trying to subtly keep himself up there in GC for Bahrain McLaren. So yeah, Bilbao and Bernsteiner, they're both up there when it comes to GC as well. Bernsteiner a bit lower because his time trial is worse. Bilbao won 37 seconds on that third spot, like you said. So all in all, we've got a very broad field of riders that is riding at a performance level very similar to each other. We've only got like five climbers that we can say that are a tiny bit better, and that's Fulsang, Micah, Nibali, and Pozzo Vivo, and maybe Kreisbeck as well. And Calderman, of course, sixth rider. I forget him because he's in front of the group and not behind it. But yeah, I, I think that Calderman was the winner of today when it comes to GC, guys. And Nibali, because I think Nibali kind of needed Thomas and Yates to be out of contention to have an opportunity for GC. And that's maybe very harsh to say. But the thing is, I know, like you said, I know as a Nibali fan, because I've had this argument against me every single time I talk about Nibali, if Nibali wins this Giro d'Italia, I'll have to hear it every freaking day that he won because others crashed. And I, I, I don't want that. I don't want that. And it annoys me personally because I feel that if we look at other Grand Tours, that some other riders have it the same way, but they judge Nibali that way because he's always, well, on one end lucky that the others crash out or something, but he's also unlucky that he can't prove that he can win it without them crashing out, which is what really bugs me because I say that at least 75% of the Grand Tours he won, he would have won them as well if he didn't have them crash out. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm a bit on uh, on an annoyed feeling there because I know that that argument is going to be thrown my way. And as an Ebley fan, it's not always fun to hear it. But I, I also can't deny it this time around. But that's obviously not Nibali's fault. It's He's Mr. Consistent, like you said. And because of that, he is able to keep himself up there without endangering himself even more. His technique is great in the descents. And because of that, I'm not really scared of him, for example, crashing out on a descent of the Stelvio. Let's hope I don't jinx it right now. But stuff like that is what Nibali is better in than some of the other riders that make problems. We compare it to that 2014 to the France stage, the Cobble stage, where Froome and Contador, well, Contador lost a lot of time, Froome crashed out. Well, that's because Nibali trained that stage, especially for ages before that, together with Matteo Tosato and so forth to make sure that he was there that day. And the others weren't so prepared on that couple stage. And that's what makes Nibali Nibali, that he prepares on the things that he's not good at. And because he trains for that, and because he works those issues away every single time, I think that's why he's Mr. Consistent. And I think that's why he's going to win this Giro, like I mentioned on the preview podcast. Yeah, it's looking good for him, because if everyone's at a similar climbing level, then... Looking at this field of GC guys, he is by far and away the most consistent. He's probably got the strongest team right now of climbers, uh, especially looking at what Trek were able to do at the base of Mount Etna and just beforehand. And he's probably the best tactically, and he's the best descender of them. So if you're going to want consistency, tactical nows, and no one's really far and away better than him on the climbs or the TTs, then yeah, Nibali probably is looking like the favourite at the moment. Whereas I thought Thomas is just so much better than him at TTs. And I thought probably pretty similar climbing level as well. And Yates, I thought, was much on it normally, like at Terreno, much better climber than Nibali. So, 
yeah, I'll wait to see more information from Mitchell and Scott. Good to see Fulsang and Astana bouncing back after two bad days with Vlasov and Miguel Angel Lopez. So already we've got Thomas out, Yates out of GC, maybe, and maybe we'll have to go on a long-range attack later in this Giro. I wouldn't put it past him. Vlasov out and Lopez out. So it's been a very busy first three days. Um, I um, have received footage of the crash of Thomas, and it's really annoying because he crashes over a beat-on. Okay, so we're just seeing this. I'm just seeing this live right now. It's a little descent in a town section. It's like fan footage. Um, this is so... That is just... Like someone throws a beat onto the side of the road and that's where Green Thomas passes. And at that very moment, it hits his bike and he just crashes over it. And it's quite a hard crash, to be honest. Like genuinely, I can understand why he's not up there in the end. That's that's a mad crash. Let's hope he doesn't have any broken bones from that. Oh my goodness. Like throw your beat on to the side of the road without hitting riders. How hard can it be? That's such a shame. Um yeah, CCC rider jumped the beat on and Thomas went straight into it. And yeah, I'm not going to say that's Thomas' fault at all. That's just really unlucky. He's a guy that's trained really hard for the Giro after the disappointment of not getting picked for the Tour de France. And then it's wiped out with a really hard crash, which he couldn't do too much about. But yeah, massive shame for Thomas. Nothing he could do about that. Tomorrow's stage, stage four from Catania to Villafranco Terrain, 140 k's, another short one. It's got pretty much one major climb right in the middle. Portella, Mandrazzi, 12.4 k's, 5.2%. Not that hard a climb. I'd expect in the finish, Demar, Matthews, Sagan, maybe, um, Ulissi as well. Do you think... I think we picked I picked Gaviria maybe or Demar before um, in the previous show. I'm going to go with uh, Arno Demar for tomorrow's stage, Benji. Even though his climbing wasn't that good in stage two, I still think they'll be able to have plenty of time to get back on with that FDJ train. And if Gaviria gets dropped too, they'll be working. Um, and it'll be a lot of effort for Sunweb and UAE Emirates to drive it on the front after that climb for like, it'd only be like 40 kilometers, I guess. But yeah, I'm picking, I'm staying with Demar for tomorrow. Yeah, the obvious battle will be Gavidia versus Demar, but I'm not sure how much Gavidia can survive that climb. So Demar would also be one of my picks. I don't think the break is going to win on this stage. There's limited opportunities for sprinters always. So sprinter teams will try and control the pace. Then again, on the climb itself, that might hurt their own riders. So they got to watch out a bit with their pace. they got to keep it under the threshold that their sprinter can try and survive. And most likely, I do see them drop. I think that the likes of a Peter Sagan might try and use his team a bit more on this. They did it in the Tour de France. But then again, this climb is like halfway to stage. So I'm not sure they will keep it up. The team is was then at the Tour de France for Bora. So I'm not sure if you have Micah and Conrad up there in GC that you should spend them at the moment. Outside of those two riders, Demar and Gavidia, maybe a Ballerini or Hotch, I think that it's going to be a relatively simple battle between the two, to be honest. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go for Gavidia. I'm going to oppose you, because why the hell not? I'll give you a dark horse with a very strong justification, and this is what I would do if I was Ineos. You've got the best climbing sprinter in the race, Ben Swift, and after the shitty day they've had today, I would get 
Ganna, then Castroviejo and Gagenhart. Uh, Gagenhart's probably got the GC, but I would light it up on the climb tomorrow and drop as many of them as possible. Try and drop Kavidia and Damar, and you drop Hodge as well. And then put Dennis, if you can keep Dennis there and Ganna on the front, if you can get them over the climb, and then you can, yeah, work in that valley afterwards and use those engines to try and keep the cap, and you might get a bit of help from a couple of Sunweb riders and UAE for Ulysses and Michael Matthews. So that's a dark horse pick for tomorrow, Ben Swift, who looked magic on the climb up Etna today. I couldn't believe how good he looked. But today's Giro d'Italia was another reminder that there's no off days in Grand Tours. If you have one bad day, you can be out of it. And you can't win GC in a Grand Tour if you don't make it to the finish, no matter how fast you do go on some of the other stages. Well, I guess if you do a Floyd Landis, you still can win GC, even if you have a bad day. But that aside, Nibali's looking good. I'm not very happy about that because that was Benji's pick. I need my man Stevie G to pick it up. But tomorrow shouldn't be a day for the GC men. Thanks for listening as always. This was the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast in partnership with Lacole for the Giro d'Italia with my man Benji Nyson, who's feeling a little bit too happy today. We'll see you tomorrow. Ciao.